and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nikki, and my name is Nikki. Sorry, and I am joined as always by Greg. Hey, Greg, how's it going? Not bad. Did you forget your name there for a second? I did. I forgot my name. I slurred my name. <laughs> I haven't even had a drink, but I've slurred my name. Uh, I'm doing the swally a disservice by not drinking. But yeah, I forgot my name there. I was getting so excited. <laughs> it's because it's so hot here. It's it's like 34 degrees in Amsterdam. It's been so hot for the last like four days. And I am sweating buckets. I mean, I used to live in the Middle East. You'd think I'd be used to it, but I am not at all. There's no AC here. But how are you? How's everything going? Good. Yeah, things are going well. Looking forward to our subject matter tonight. I'm, I am still in the Middle East, so it is hotter here than it is in Europe. But uh, I think when it gets to sort of 35, 38 degrees, you don't feel any hotter. Because that's like, I think that's like the top temperature like you can hand, that a normal person can handle. I think it can be 50 degrees and it's still, you know, it's, 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 if it's too hot at 38 degrees, then it doesn't make any difference how hot it gets. I mean, I'm on 45, I'm on, it's 7 o'clock at night here and it's 41 degrees where I am. <laughs> yes, but you have air conditioning. That's true, that's true. Um, although this is, this, we're on a podcast, so you guys can't see, but I can see... Uh, Nicky at the moment, and we've been talking for about half an hour before we started recording, and he's got shinier, and his hair's got slicker as the minutes have ticked by, so hopefully he lasts for the whole podcast. Yes, I am sat in the spare room with the curtains, blackout curtains drawn, uh, but the light on, but I am still sweating buckets. So, let's proceed. So, of course... (laughs) Tonight, we are going to be talking about the young person's guide to becoming a rock star later on. But first of all, we're going to talk about some Scottish news from the uh, the last week. So, have you seen anything this week that has caught your eye, Greg? I've only seen one story this week that's caught my eye. We, don't, we tend to look for stories that are quite funny. I think this is kind of funny, but it's probably more bizarre than it is funny. So it, it comes from uh, the Daily Record the, on the sterling pages of the Daily Record's website. The headline is Scots fetishist who led mask women around on dog lead cle- cleared of abusing his human bets. Eh, sorry, human bets. Human pets, I should say. Scott Hanlon from Sterling was cleared of assault over the pup play. So there's a, there's, a, there's a picture of Scott that's, I don't know where the picture's come from, but he's in the park. His face is blurred out, but I suspect that he's probably still quite a distinctive-looking chap, even without his face blurred out. And he's, a, he's accompanied by what appears to be a young woman wearing quite a high-end dog mask, I would say. So what it says is, uh, a fetishist has been cleared of abusing his human pets after the court heard they took part in extreme sex games with them. For some reason on the Daily Record website, you can click on the extreme sex link. I'm not sure where it takes you. We'll leave that for another time. Scott Hanlon led a masked woman around in a dog lead in the sh- around the streets of Stirling in an act known as pup play. This next part is the more unfortunate part of this story. He also carved his initials into one man's back with a blade taped to a chopstick in a so-called 
scarification ritual. But yesterday, happily, Scott was cleared of acting in an abusive manner in relation to the scarification and cleared of assault over the pup play. He had admitted to the acts when he was on trial at Sheriff Stirling Court, uh, Stirling Sheriff Court, fuck me, but he was found not guilty after the Crown accepted his not guilty pleas to abuse and assault. However, he was found guilty of a third charge of intending to pervert the course of justice after threatening a witness not to report him to the police. He explained his fetishes in court, saying, it's almost sort of role play, but it's also a form of identity. Some people identify as submissive, just as some people identify as gay or straight. His trial yesterday heard how police were called to Hanlon's flat in uh, Stirling's Mayfield Court on June 28th by a 19-year-old woman. She had lived with Hanlon for nearly a year as one of his pets and routinely wore a dog collar to be led around by him. The neighbour, Laura Sharp, told the court, I'd see them outside and the girl had a mask on. I think it was, a, I think it was black leather with ears on. She had a collar and a lead. He'd give it a wee pull. (laughs) The 19-year-old told the court how she was left absolutely terrified after a row with Hanlon ended up with her shutting herself in the bathroom. Richard Allen, Allen, who was defending Hanlon, asked the woman if she was jealous because Hanlon had spent the night with another man and carved his initials on the guy's back. Pretty sure she wasn't jealous about that part of it. Um, No, she replied... You weren't terrified, you were angry, said Mr. Uh, Allen. At that point, the 19-year-old was unable to continue, and the prosecution opted not to proceed with the abuse and assault charges. But he was found guilty of intent to pervert the course of justice because he shouted at her, you better not give a fucking statement or that's you fucking out for good. So I'm not sure anybody comes out of that story a winner. Have you ever heard of pup play? Is that a thing, pup play? I haven't. So when you mentioned dog mask, I was wondering if it was a muzzle. But are you talking a whole kind of, she was wearing like a, a rude dog and the dweebs kind of, you know, staffy mask, like a plastic mask to look like a dog? Well, if I can describe, I'll try and, I'll do my best to describe the mask. So it's, it's leather. I mean, it's a, uh... It's a quality mask. <laughs> you know, it's no expense spared here. Um, it's it's got a sort of short muzzle with kind of white. You know the dogs that have got the sort of white cheeks where their whiskers grow, um, mm. and and bizarrely white eyebrows. It kind of looks a bit like a bat. The, the ears make it look like a bit of a Batman mask, but the muzzle it's unmistakably a dog. So yeah, pup play. Apparently, I had no idea this was a thing, but apparently. Some people, look, we're not here to judge. They like to pretend that they're dogs and uh, it satisfies a sexual sort of fetish, I guess, between I, some people. I've genuinely never heard of pup play. I mean, I've heard of, you know, furries and things like that, but <laughs> pup play? Never whoa, heard whoa. of it. Hang on a minute. Let's go back a second. Furries? What, furry. Is that what it's called? Furries? The, the people that like to dress up as, like, furry, cuddly animals and have sex with each other. Are they furries? I've no idea. I'll need to Google this, but yeah, furries. That's a thing. People like (laughs) dressing up in like, I don't know, like big kind of fuzzy bear costumes and having sex with each other. I'm (laughs) sure they're called furries. I'll have to... Maybe I should ask my wife because I'm quite a hairy guy. Do you know what I mean? Maybe. No, it has to be a costume. 
I, I think oh, right. I, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to Google this. I, I need to check this and see what it is. In fact, I mean, I'm I'm scared to Google furries. Yeah, furries. Yeah, <laughs> it's a fandom in subculture with yeah people dressing up as furry animals and having sex with each other. So we're we're not talking Robin Williams hairy. We're talking like no. We're, we're, no, we're talking like people dressing up as like Disney, I, I did, not, sorry, I didn't say Disney, not Disney characters. People dressing up as, for example, Wiley F. Coyote, and yeah, having sex with someone, yeah. It sounds to me that you're less worried about being sued by Warner Brothers than you are by Disney. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Damn well, it. The company, the company I worked for just did a collaboration with Looney Tunes, actually. Damn it. I should be worried about that. <laughs> maybe maybe Disney are a bit more litigious than, uh, than Warner Brothers. <laughs> I think so. But yeah, that's a, that's a big thing. People dressing up in animal costumes. I, I, I should have said Angus the Bull. Yeah, that's what I should have said. You know, football animals. It's like Angus the Bull fucking um, Broxy Bear. <laughs> No one's going to sue me for that. <laughs> That's what it's like. I don't know. I th- that I would th- never th- happen. I, th- I, th- I, th- I think Rangers are in, in need of a bob or two, mate. They might be, uh, they might be calling the lawyers. <laughs> well, it, uh, given current situation, probably Angus the Bull might have coronavirus, so <laughs> I can't go on to anything about that. <laughs> well, that is a wonderful story. I'm so happy to uh, to hear that... Uh, that uh, uh, I never knew that existed, but um, that will open my eyes to that. But that is something I do not want to Google. I know, I know that you've got an absolute belter of a news story. Uh, I've been looking forward to it since you told me about it earlier. So with, without any further ado. Now, this is an urban legend, but it's not an urban legend because I remember finding it as a youngster. When, you know, we used to hang out and play in the woods and in the bushes and stuff and you know we didn't interfere with dogs as you were alluding to but we used to you know play in the woods and you know have fun and it was the the best thing in the world what was the best thing you could if you excuse the kind of pun or euphemism what was the best thing you could come across if you were playing in the woods apart from 20 regal or 20 embassy probably uh, between the ages of about six and twelve, the best thing you could find in the woods would be a glass iron brew or fizzy juice bottles that you could get money back for at the shop. Between the ages of twelve and about twenty-five, probably the best thing you could find in the woods would be some discarded pornography. Exactly. A porn man. Now, back in the day, kids, you know, before we had smartphones and you can access two girls, one cup at the touch of a button, we had to look in bushes for our porn. This was the only way we could find it. There was no internet. We couldn't go into the local grocery and buy a copy of Escort. I mean, I I used to when I was about 16. It was fine. But you couldn't do that back in the day. So the only way you could get your porn was either through shoplifting from John Menzies or finding it in a bush. A diver in Edinburgh found a seedy sex stash stuffed away in a safe at the bottom of a river whilst looking for his pal's stolen bike. 
So this is from the Daily Record. So effectively, this guy, his mate is a delivery driver. And a bunch of fucking teenage kids stole his bike. Which is, it's unacceptable, Edinburgh teenage kids. Like, it's a delivery driver. You don't steal somebody's bike. So they stole it. And they launched it into the river. This guy is a diver by profession. So he said, okay, I'm going to go in and get your bike back. So he dove into the river. He found 14 Deliveroo bikes in this river. So these kids are obviously, you know, rampant in their thievery of delivery drivers' bikes. How is anyone getting their food delivered in Edinburgh if these little (laughs) fuckers are stealing the bikes? However, whilst he was in there, he got more that he bargained for, according to the Daily Record. He found a safe, like a big, chunky safe. So he managed to get a winch and fish this safe out, and they bust it open, and he thinks it may have been possibly stolen because when he opened the safe, there was a stash of porn magazines, a video camera, and lots of condoms. (laughs) Now, if you've got porn mags, a video camera... Why are you putting condoms in your safe? Well, that's one of many questions that this story raises. You know what I mean? It would be interesting to know what the kind of vintage of the pornography was. Because, as you alluded to earlier on, because of the internet, kids don't have to work for their pornography anymore. You know, it's all there at the touch of a button. All you need is a smartphone or a computer, and you can have anything you want. Two girls, one cup, as you mentioned. Possibly even pup play. Whatever the fuck that is. But, you know, I mean, what what drives somebody not only to keep their pornography locked in a safe and then throw it in the river? I mean, I guess if they were living with a particularly conservative wife, you might keep your pornography in there, you know, so you can access it when she's not there, she's not going to find it. But then why would you chuck it away? Why would you throw it in the river? It was a very heavy safe. You'd have to be... Pretty, you'd have to be Jeff Capes to throw this safe into the river. But this river must be a trevor trove because <laughs> Shane went back the next day, but unfortunately he didn't find any more porn. Oh. But he found 25 bikes, <laughs> a trolley, some suitcases, a bathtub, and, oh, and he found a second safe, but he doesn't say what was in it, so I guess there was no scud mags. The hundreds of money that he doesn't want to declare. In case, in case the owner comes forward. And then the post read that Shaden was diving again this afternoon. So he's back in this river every day, hoping to find this vintage, he must be searching for this 1996 copy of Reader's Wives that he had <laughs> found in a bush when he was a kid. And he's just trying to reclaim the glory days and have that amazing magical wank over Becca... 23 from Essex that he did when he was 15. Now, I think with this, I think there's a, there's, there's a movie in this story. <laughs> there, there is, right? There's a movie, right? Because you mentioned that there was a, you mentioned there was a video camera in the safe, right? So in my, in my movie synopsis, Shane finds the safe. He open, you know, he gets it open. My goodness. He thinks, oh, it's just a load of, it's just a load of scud. But then he sees the video camera and he thinks, oh, I wonder what's on this video camera. So it's an old video camera in my mind from like, like bought from Tandy in like fucking 1983 or something like that. 
Shane, he, he gets it all hooked up, he finds an old telly, and it turns out to be like a like like a homemade porn film of some really powerful person. Alright? And the, you know, and somebody like, there's some guy who who knows that the guy who put the safe there to protect his boss all those years ago, and he, he finds out somehow that Shane has got the safe and he's sitting on this massive story that could just fucking bring down like a massive business empire or a government and suddenly Shane's running for his life through the streets of Edinburgh with nowhere to turn with all that you know with all this rather than just pay him off they will, you know, cause Shane Shane won't take the payoff because Shane's a good guy. He's gone into the river to get his mate Spike. So he's a fucking stand up guy. He, he is above taking bribes from these shite hawks. But now, because he's turned the bribe down, Shane's running for his life. Who, you know, who is he going to turn to? Who's going to help him? He's got to be self-reliant. He's a diver, so he's quite fit. And the guys don't. The guys that are after him don't. They don't count on him being quite fit. Maybe you could. Maybe we could say that he's done a bit of karate at the leisure centre when he was younger, so he's a bit handy in a scrap. I'm telling you, we need to copyright that and start working on the script immediately. Yeah, you've gone kind of enemy of the state with that kind of description. I thought you were going to go a completely different way. What do you think, then? Which, which, what, what direction would you take it in? I'm going to build on your case, but I'm going to switch the story halfway around. So okay. we have the big businessman, let's call him Eric Stevia, and he is pumping some young woman um, in this sex tape that's been found in the safe. But all of a sudden, he finishes and he goes off to the bathroom. But then the young woman starts crawling towards the camera. And then she comes out of the camera, in the video, in the TV. So it's like a ring. And whoever has found this video in the safe, it then goes on to the next person. And the next person, it's the doomed porn tape of the Leith River. It's... so, so what happens to Shane when he when when she, when she climbs out of the out, out of the telly? You know, does does she just sort of kill him, or does she kind of wank him to death, or what? What happens? I I think yeah, she wanks him to death. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he, he does well. Both are the same. Does she kill him or wank him to death? He dies either way. Yes, she wanks him to death. Well, yeah. Well, 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 what I should have said was, how does she kill him? And then she wanks him to death, and then there's just a pile of stevia left on his chest plate to, you know, show what has happened in the video. Stevia is like that sugar substitute, isn't it? Well, I can't say the word because obviously I said Eric Stevia. I think that alludes to who I'm talking about. (laughs) But yes, Stevia is a sugar substitute. And Eric was the first name that I came up that sounded a bit like Alan, so yes. <laughs> All right, right, I, I got it. Right. Oh, now you get it. Uh, sorry, yeah, oh, Stevia. <laughs> Thanks. Yes, a bit oh, slow yeah. there. Okay, you don't have a VHS recorder, do you, Greg? I don't. I wish. I okay, would. you're safe then from Although... the, the ghost of Eric Stevia. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Stevia's Wumber from 1983. <laughs> <Just> the, <laughs> Eric Stevia's demonic Wumber. I mean, I, I, to kind of take it back a few minutes, I'm, I'm, I'm quite intrigued at what a, a kind of enemy of the state situation would look like in Scotland. <laughs> On the east coast of Scotland, what, what that would look like. Well, you wouldn't have helicopter. Well, you might do. Helicopters might do. flying around. Gene Chinook. Hackman running Chinooks. after you. Yeah. 
over the Waverley Bridge. Yeah, you could totally have an enemy of the state in Scotland. Yeah. Okay, now this is all gold. We need to get we need to trademark this before people listen to it and start okay. copying our ideas. We've got a bit of time before we put this out, so we'll uh, okay. we'll get this trademarked. Uh, so yeah. you said, did you only have one news story this week, or do you have anything else? No, unfortunately, I, I, that's the only one I had. It's the only one I could find. I mean, when I was looking through the news, there's always quite a lot of stories about people getting stabbed when you look in the Scottish news, especially in the west of Scotland, which is unfortunate. But there seemed to be like a, quite a lot of, maybe a bit more than usual. I, I, I struggled to find anything as charming as Scott Hanlon and as pop play in Stirling. We won't speak about stabbing, but have you ever... Now, this leads to two stories. Have you ever left anything in a taxi? Uh, yes, I left a mobile phone in the taxi. Uh, my first my first ever mobile phone, actually, but thankfully I had a an honest, kind-hearted taxi driver who called me and brought it back. Okay, but nothing, you know, untoward? You never left anything in a taxi? No, I don't think... No, no, definitely not. Well, this Aberdeen man... Darren Wallace, 29, he has been handed community service because he left a steak knife in a taxi in Aberdeen. Right. So he took his... Now, this is what... I'm wondering about this. He took a taxi with his pal to pick up some booze at 3am on April the 2nd. Where in Mm -hmm. Aberdeen do you get booze at 3am? I remember a colleague... Over a friend of ours, yours and mine, and I once got a taxi at about 1am to a restaurant I used to work in to help her sell to a couple of cases of beer to take back to a party. Okay, that could be the case. Maybe he did go to a restaurant or a bar he worked at or, yeah, who knows. But he went to go and pick up booze. Then they, they had their taxi ride. Everything was enjoyable. Then he got out the taxi. The next passenger got in and discovered a Russell Hobbs steak knife sitting in the stairwell in the car. The stairwell? The footwell? Uh, well, the footwell. Yeah, the stairwell. Sorry. <laughs> yes, the footwell. Sorry. How, how big was this taxi? You know I mean? uh, yeah, it was a massive taxi. <laughs> it was a relaxy taxi. It was massive. Um, so, unfortunately, this next passenger grasped him up and handed it to the taxi driver. I mean, I would, if I got in a taxi, I don't know what I would do if I saw a knife. I, w- I would probably hand it to the taxi driver and be like, I'll find this knife. Here you go. Then, so they ended up arresting this poor guy and he said that he had had it in his pocket and they picked up the taxi. They'd gone to get the booze and when they asked him about where he was he's like look i was very drunk and i just literally found it on the street and just picked it up and put it in my pocket and then left it in the taxi so he got 60 hours of community service just for having this knife in his pocket now i that they didn't believe his story about just finding it on the street then i guess no however that leads to my next question have you ever found anything on the street now i'm not including traffic cones or (laughs) you know Shopping trolleys, but anything on the street random that you've found that you have picked up or taken home or... I found a Boba Fett figure on the street when I was about six that I took home. I I, I already had a Boba Fett, but um, well, I, think, well, I think one of his legs was off or something. This one was intact, so I just picked it up and took it home. But as an adult, I mean, no. I mean, I've found a wee bit of money now and again, like a pound here, a fiver there, but... Uh, 
never anything unusual. I should have probably said my question was, you know, on a drunken night out, have you ever found anything oh. <laughs> random on the street? I remember when I was, I think, 17, we found this suitcase lying on the ground. It was in the Castle Gate in Aberdeen. Right. And we opened it. And it was literally full of harmonicas. Harmonicas? Like, literally, yeah. There was about 20 harmonicas in the suitcase. Right. And we're like, what do we do with these? I think it was me that was the voice of reason. Because people were like, oh, we'll just take them. And I'm like, what are we going to do with 20 harmonicas? Are we going to learn to play them? Are we going to play a band? Well, like, we're on the castle gate. Obviously, some busker has left them. Let's, like, the police station is right there. Let's go and do the honest thing and hand them in. So we did. We went, we handed them in. Uh, we were all pished. 17 years old, all four of us, you know, pished, going into the police station, handing over harmonicas, giving our names and addresses, reeking of alcohol and fair play about a month later we got letters in the post with uh someone had come in and claimed them and gave us a 20 pound reward so we got five pounds each it must have been a busker it must have been yeah <laughs> a professional but fair play. he didn't have to give anything you know fair yeah. play and yeah you know so we did a good thing giving those back but yeah a, a suitcase full of harmonicas is probably the most random thing i've found on the street. I'd be, I'd be honest, every one of you was hoping for a suitcase full of porn, weren't you? Oh yeah, I was hoping for a suitcase full of porn and a video camera um, <sighs> and condoms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course I was. Suitcase full of porn. No, I probably, I, I was a good deed well done handing in those harmonicas and I probably went up to the Chapel Street 24 hour shop and bought a copy of Escort and a mince pie. So, you know, I got my porn and my pie, so I was happy. And I, I and then I got the fiver back for it. I mean, escort back in the day was, I think, probably about one pound sixty. So you know, and a pie would have been about one pound fifty. So I made a profit that night, effectively. I'm sure the bus. I'm sure whoever lost the harmonica's heart would be well and truly warmed, knowing that you spent the reward money on some kind of mid-level pornography and a and a and a lukewarm pie from the Chapel Street. Yeah, Chapel Street, 24 hour shop. Well, what else am I going to spend it on? Putting it in a busker's hat. Is that what you want me to do? Go back and see him playing Wonderwall on the harmonica and throw the fiver back in with my pie and my porno. I mean, there was, I don't know if it's still there, but there used to be a bar on Chapel Street called Portals. The, no, Drake's Bar that, um, that was a bit, of a bit of a music venue back, like, back in the kind of late 90s, early 2000s um i saw a few kind of local bands play there uh, so maybe maybe it was somebody from there but i mean but that's a lot of harmonicas even for even for a you know for a band you know if they might have one harmonica player i'm sure you wouldn't have more than because harmonicas usually the harmonicas always come in a certain key so you have like a one in the key of c one in the key of uh, g usually etc you know? well i have no idea what he did with them but we found them so. Well, that's good for you guys. I'm sure every one of you will have rightly earned your place in heaven. We've got some karma points for that. It's not the first time that, we, that we've helped the police with their inquiries after a boozy night out, as I recall. But there was no reward that time, apart from a good story to tell over the years, which is, which is reward enough. Just a, a summons for you and our other friend that was there. <laughs> you must have got one as well. No, I didn't, no. How the no. fuck? That's so bizarre. Because we all we're all interviewed. 
I yeah, but at the time I lived in England for the year, so I guess Scottish law. I didn't get a summons. But did you give your address as Norwich or your mum's address? I, I don't fucking know. I was pissed. <laughs> I probably gave my granny's address. I don't know. <laughs> and granny probably got a summons. And she'd been dead by then. No idea. But I genuinely never got a letter. I don't know. Thankfully, we didn't have to go to court anyway because the, the person that was in trouble uh, must have changed his, changed his plea. From... Well, that's a story for another episode when we yeah, do a sure. um, key piece of pop culture that involves... Uh... Drink driving. <laughs> so, anyway, we were talking about uh, harmonicas, yep. which segues quite well into music. And today, we are going to be speaking about The Young Person's Guide to Becoming a rock star, which was a comedy series airing on Channel 4 in 1998. The six-part series centred on a young Glaswegian band called Jocks Wahey and their struggle for success. It follows them as they recruit their new manager, they hone their sound, get signed, uh, record a massively over-budget album and make it through the heady world of 90s promotion. Uh, This series was a very satirical and comedic look on 90s record industry with lots of cameos in my opinion a fantastic soundtrack but we will come back to that uh so greg what are your memories do you remember this series at all i do remember it i remember definitely watching the first episode but when it was on if, i mean I'm, I'm i'm maybe reaching here but i think it was probably on on a thursday evening and in, in those days i was working shifts in a restaurant on Thursday, obviously quite a busy uh, night in, in 1990s restaurants and bars. So I never saw the rest of the series. So in watching it for the podcast, it's the first time that I'd seen the whole thing. And to be honest, it's been so long since I've seen that first episode, I couldn't really remember an awful lot about it. Uh, yeah, I think it was a Thursday night. I seem to recall around that time. I mean, Thursday night on Channel 4 was always a good night for kind of new things in that era. I mean, probably latterly, that was when, you know, like Shameless and Skins and stuff was on. So this was probably, yeah, I think Thursday night on Channel 4 was a good thing. I remember just loving this when it came out. But ironically, I don't think I've seen it since. Uh, But yeah, when it first came out, I just adored this series. I thought it was just fantastic i loved the music i loved the actors i think it was because i was such a brit pop kind of fan at the time and this was just such a kind of 90s soaked tv series that it just appealed to me so much yeah and now i was thinking about i was thinking about it and i was thinking you know why i wonder why they would commission a, a series like this and I thought to myself well it was right at the height of Britpop so I thought to myself well I'll have a look at what the best selling British singles were in 1998 expecting to find all sorts of music by like Menswear, Oasis, Blur, uh, The Lightning Seeds, uh, The Blue Tones cast etc etc and I'm going to tell you starting at number 10. No, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, I mean, you're right. 98, Britpop was dead by 98. Mm. Britpop, the window was so small. Yeah, 98 was dead. 98, I, I'm going to hazard a guess. I'm going to, I'm going to... 
Okay. We're not going to jump in, but I'm going to reckon number one was probably like Spice Girls. Okay, right. Number 10. And you, you'll remember some of these songs, I'm sure. Number 10, best-selling single in the UK in 1998 was The Tamperer featuring Mia. Feel it. Uh, number nine, Savage Garden, Truly, Madly, Deeply. Okay, Sliding Doors. Yeah. Yep. Number eight, Praz Michael featuring ODB and Maya, Ghetto, Superstar, Ghetto Superstar. Ah, That's a great tune. I know. Uh, number seven, Boyzone, No Matter What. Oh, that's a great tune as well. <laughs> number number six, uh, I, I, I think this was a, a, another favourite of yours, was Bewitched, C'est La Vie. C'est La Vie. Oh, yes. It's Bewitched, yep. Fight like my dad says. <laughs> number five, Leanne Rhymes with How Do I Live. Okay, yeah. I think that was that when Coyote Ugly was that out that year? Is um, that off the soundtrack? Um, I, is that a bit later? It might be. I've got a funny feeling How Do I Live is from... Is that not from Con Air? Con Air. Did, 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 did Con Air have a big theme song? I, I've just got a funny feeling How Do I Live is from Con Air. I need right. to double check, but um, Leanne Rhymes, no, the one from Coyote Ugly was was that not um, you can't fight the moonlight or something? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, how yeah, do I, I live? Is is in Con Air? I, I'm going to double check that, but I'm positive about that. Okay. Um, number four was All Saints, Never Ever, with their uh, kind okay. of breakthrough. Yeah. Uh, number three. I thought this song was newer than this, but it was Run DMC featuring uh, versus Jason Evans. It's like that. Yeah. I thought that came out in the early 2000s. Uh, number two was Share, Believe. And number one, Celine Dion, My Heart Will Go On. Because that was the year that Titanic came out. Um, the Spice the Spice Girls, I think the I think the window was closing a bit on the Spice Girls by this time as well. Because they were like number 21 with Viva Forever. The closest... Sort of thing to a Brit a Brit pop style band. Well, there's Eagle Eye Cherry. I'm not really sure that you would. You might no. give no, not really. No. Or he's American. Oh yes, yeah, so he is. <laughs> um, there's Jamiroquai. Do you think they? Do you think they deserve a bit of Brit pop painting uh, there? Or possibly. Not? Yeah, I mean, we can talk about them in this episode because J.K. features. So I guess probably the closest thing that I can probably get you to. I can probably get you to agree with me on them, would be The Manic Street Preachers. If you tolerate this, your children will be next. It's number 57. Uh, no, I, I am a massive Manic Street Preachers fan, and I refuse... I, I think Everything Must Go is, yes, a very much a Britpop album, because it was came out at that time, but I refuse to see The Manic Street Preachers as Britpop. And I that's speaking as a huge Manic Street Preachers fan, and a huge Britpop fan. Okay then, right. Well, this this is the definitive one then. We will definitely agree on this one. So o- Oasis were at number 71 with All Around the World. So that's the kind of closest thing to a Britpop entry in the top 100 selling UK singles of 1998. Unless you count the deal and Skinner with the three lines 98. But I'd rather yeah. you didn't. No, so you can that fuck off for that. But Lightning Seeds I would class as Britpop. Yeah. So... To get back to the point of the episode, Young Person's Guide <laughs> to Becoming a Rock Star, uh, yeah. you could say, um, to go back to Britpop, there are loads of kind of 90s cameos in this show. Uh, Noel Gallagher, Chrissy Hine, JK, Denise Van Outen, Samantha Fox, Sarah Cox, Kirsty Wark, Keith Jerkwin, Timmy Mallet, 
Edgier Pole, and of course, not Britpop in any way, shape, or form, but Fish. And, and Fish is fantastic at this. He steals the show kind of away, but that's in quite a later episode. So, of course, we have the, you know, the formation of the band, and one of my favourite parts of the entire series is in terms of introducing the band members, and you meet Big Willie, who is the drummer, and of course, what is he a drummer in? On the Orange Walk. And Big <laughs> Willie is a staunch Rangers fan, and he's always wearing like a Rangers top or something. <laughs> so, you're from Glasgow, Craig, like the Orange Walk. This is a uh, quite a big thing, isn't it? It's quite it's quite a polarizing thing <laughs> uh, in Glasgow. I mean, I mean, I don't I don't know that it's still I think it's still very important to a lot of people. I don't know that they still have the walks every summer. If you were to make this series now, I'm not. I don't know if they would. I, I think they might get away with it, but I don't. I don't know if they would risk it. Because they're basically, you know, I mean, the, the actor who plays Big Willie is Stephen McCall, who's, who's one of my famous, uh, my famous, one of my favourite, and I think quite underrated Scottish actors. But he does play a very stereotypical kind of Glaswegian Protestant Rangers fan, and I'm not sure that uh, in these days of political correctness and cancel culture. You would necessarily get away with a depiction like that. I agree. I think they make up for it in a way in terms of the the kind of balancing, in terms of the Kenny, who is their manager, who runs the kind of scrapyard and it's where they have the rehearsals. His dogs, his attack words are Walter Smith, Andy Godham, <laughs> and Kill is Ali McCoist. So you would get from that that Kenny is probably quite a Celtic fan. Or, or an Aberdeen fan. Kind of, no, I don't think he's an Aberdeen <laughs> fan, no. So I think that kind of balances it out. So I think if if you've got that one side, you can get away with the other in terms of Rangers Celtic, I think. But that's speaking as a, a non-Rangers Celtic fan. He does have quite a good arc Big Willie, because you know when you first see him, he's kind of portrayed as the kind of bigoted Rangers fan, bangs the drum in the in the Orange Band. But you sort of later on, you see that he's actually quite a good guy. You know what I mean? He stands up for the other guys in the band, and you know what I mean. He's, he becomes quite a likable character. So maybe maybe they maybe they, they, they sort of redeem that first portrayal of him in the first when you first see him in that first episode. Oh yeah, Willie's a very likable character. I think all the band members are. I mean, we should speak about the band members, of course. You have yep. Jez McAllister on vocals, who is played by uh, Kieran McMenamin, who's Northern Irish. He's the only non-Scottish member of the band. Uh, you have uh, Joe, uh, who is played by Nicholas Stapleton, which is, of course, you remember as... Mandy of EastEnders. You do, and I remember her as from Simon and the Witch. Which <laughs> <laughs> was a crazy. I, I remember her from EastEnders, but I also remember her from Simon and the Witch. But she is fantastic, and her Scottish accent is spot on because her mother was Glaswegian, and apparently they had to tell her to tone down her Glaswegian accent because they wouldn't understand her. Uh, you have Duncan Marwick playing Psycho, as you said, uh, Stephen McCall playing Big Bully, and the wonderful and beautiful Simone Labib 
playing Fiona on the keyboards, who was a, a late addition to the band. She's working at the, the DSS office where they go to to claim their unemployment and they end up recruiting her after Jez sleeps with her. And as he says, the wonderful line, like, uh, she asked me out, I'm getting a lumber on the social. <laughs> it's a great line, but uh, she's wonderful. And she just adds the cutting edge to the band that they needed, that they, you know, kind of make it big. Of course, you meet the, the manager, Art Stilton. Do you think that was based on Alan McGee? Uh, well, I've read Alan McGee's autobiography about how he started Creation Records and Found Oasis and the Jesus and Mary Chain and Rive and all those bands. I don't know, because Alan McGee always strikes me when he's been interviewed as being a bit dour, whereas you know, the character Forbes plays is quite a flamboyant character, you know, kind of flash and whatnot. I mean, I remember, I remember listening to a radio documentary maybe one years ago about Oasis, and I think they were talking about either recording Definitely Maybe or recording What's the Story? I can't remember, but Noel Gallagher tells a story about Alan McGee where Noel went to the... They were, I think they were recording the album in the countryside, and Noel went to the nearest shop to buy fags, nearest shop to buy fags, and Alan McGee was in front of him in the queue buying lottery tickets. <laughs> and Noel said to him, why are you buying lottery tickets? You're fucking loaded. And uh, I can't remember what Noel said Alan's response was, but um, I'm sure it was uh, barbed and sweary, whatever it was. You could be right, because I do think he is, I've seen many interviews on Alan McGee, and maybe I'm just making the assumption because they are both short and ginger. And that's the... The thing, but of course, Art Stilton has very, you know, he has a big beard and longer hair. However, one depiction I don't think we can get away with, and not saying it isn't based on anyone, is of course Marty Claymore and Gerard Butler, now world famous Hollywood actor, playing Marty Claymore from the band Bonk Bonk Bonk. Do you think that's based on Wet Wet Wet? I'm not sure. I think that you're probably right there. Uh, you know, and it would be, be remiss not to mention that Marty Pello is the singer. <laughs> He's singing in Wet Wet Wet. We've got Marty Claymore as the singer in uh, Bonk Bonk Bonk. So yeah, obviously quite a transparent send-up. But I suppose at the time, Wet 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 were the closest Scotland had to a kind of super group. You know, at the time, they were, they were well into their career. Actually, probably coming to the end of their career, really, but uh, as a band. Uh, well, not maybe at the end of their career, but at the end of the successful, like the super successful part of their career, you know? Yeah, I mean, this was 98, so I guess Four Weddings was, what, 96, I think? 90, it was 94. Was it 94? Of course it was, yeah. I remember going to see it, and then that was the, yeah, I remember going to see it in the cinema. And then going home and watch Greece against Argentina in the '94 World Cup, yeah, and that was the famous game where Maradona ran to the camera. Yeah, I I can vividly remember that. So yeah, '94. Yeah. So yeah, wet 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 were definitely coming to the end of their kind of career. Well, they were they, they were a big band before they did Four Weddings. You know, they were because they they they've been going since the kind of mid '80s. So, but yeah, they were definitely. I think I, th- I, th- I think Marty was in the Persian rugs by then. And do you wonder if the because obviously famously, well, famously in Scotland in 1993, Wet 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 sponsored Clyde Bank Football Club because they're from Clyde Bank. So, do you think is that is that where the We Love Cowden Beef song from Bonk 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 comes from? 
I think it could possibly be. I mean, the, that that song <laughs> made me. It was probably the the one part of this that really made me laugh out loud. The, 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 that Cowden Beef song about the shopping centre having a, cow, a car park underneath, and you know that that lyric only exists because underneath rhymes with Cowden Beef. <laughs> take a, a little bit of time to speak about the music. What do you think about the music in this? I think the music is good. I think, you know, I mean, all the songs are, they're all good songs. The only, I mean, there's the only song that uh, I would maybe take exception to and the only take exception to it is because the music of the song, like all the songs on the soundtrack is very, very well done. But the lyrics are Vivace with the bag in her head. It doesn't. It, 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 it kind of does. The, 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 the sort of daft lyrics do the music a bit of a disservice, you know. But I guess it's it's keeping in with the tone of the TV show, so I, sh- I shouldn't be. I'm just nitpicking there. But it's a good soundtrack. The, 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 the songs are catchy, especially the 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 uh, number one, the the first song. Yeah, I mean that's a great song. I I like the soundtrack. When I watched the first, um, when I watched it the first time, I, I I loved the soundtrack so much so that I went into HMV on Union Street and bought the soundtrack on CD. Then I took the soundtrack home and I recorded it onto a cassette and I put it into my Ford Escort. So I was delighted that I was driving around in my Ford Escort with my young person's guide becoming a rock star soundtrack. Can you remember? Well, can you remember how old the escort was? What license plate it was? Uh, I can. It was an F Reg. It was a nineteen eighty six. That's a good model. My mum had a, a C Reg, and the old, the old escorts were quite a cool car. I I I like to think like seventeen year old young good looking guy like yourself and cutting about Aberdeen in the Ford Escort would be a bit of a player. It was nice, yeah. It was a nice escort. It was red, and it was you know three door. So I was I was pretty happy with my escort. First car, I was I was you know pretty cool driving around, listening to Young Person's Guide to Becoming a Rockstar soundtrack. So I had a first date with this young lady, and we went out, and we I I went and picked her up from her house in Colt. And I think we went to we went to go into town to go to a bar. I must have been eighteen at this time because I could get into bars, but she was only seventeen. So you know, nothing wrong with that. It was one year. I was eighteen. She was seventeen. There's there's no there's no nonsense going on. It's a safe place, mate. You're in a safe space. I'm in a safe space. It's fine. <laughs> we have uh, we went to a bar. She didn't get in. So I think we ended up going to the cinema because we couldn't get into any bars in town. And I remember, actually, we went to go and see Little Voice, starring Michael Caine. So we went to see that, and then we left. And then we went to go back into town, tried to get into, uh, remember Hullabaloo, which was on the corner, I can't remember what it used to be before, but yeah, it was Hullabaloo for a little while. It was in the very corner of Bridge Street. Yeah. Uh, Tried to get into there. I think it's a strip club now, isn't it? It's a private house now or something. I think you're right. I think it is, yeah. 
Uh, we got refused from there. So we decided to call it a night. So we went back to the car. So I drove her home and we spent maybe an hour to an hour and a half in the car. Just saying goodbye. Nothing untoward. Just a little kiss and cuddle as 17 and 18 year olds do. And I had the young person's guide to becoming a rock star playing on the tape deck in my Ford Escort. Now, as lovely as that evening was, it's a bit of a romance killer when you have the theme tune to Martin the Marmoset playing in the background <laughs> and also the song which the lyrics are Why Won't You Shag Me? So that didn't go down, I think, too well. I, I, I don't even know if she noticed, but in my mind, I'm hearing the lyrics and I'm thinking, oh, this isn't, this isn't good. This isn't good. This can't be going well with this going on in the background. Other than that, I think the soundtrack's great. I think it encapsulates kind of the the 90s Britpop kind of era, as I think the whole show does. I mean, they, they, they take it in so well in terms of the management, in terms of the celebrities that they have involved, you know, in terms of Denise Van Outen, J.K., Keith Chegwin, Keith Allen as the A&R man, and then... You know, even when they have like the the TV shows, you know, Saturday Wow with Martin the Marmoset and Sarah Cox, you know, that was that encapsulates Saturday morning TV in the nineties. Yeah, so I mean, who, who the send What was the one with uh, Ant and Deck and Cat Dealey? The Saturday morning. Well, show? that was SMTV Live. Yeah, that, yeah, and then they used to do. They had have was it CD UK? Was the music show that was on directly after it? Which was actually it was actually a good music show. I remember I saw the the, the first time I ever saw the Killers was on there. Um, they were doing um, I can't remember the name of the song, but the chorus is "I've got soul, but I'm not a soldier." That was the first time I ever saw the Killers. It was actually it was a, a good music show. Uh, CD UK, but yeah, you're right. I mean, their Saturday Wow is a again a fairly transparent send up. Yeah, CD UK was a great show. They had a lot of good musical talent on, but yeah, Saturday Wow very much and then and then they would have the the artists on the sofa. I mean, I think it was more of a kind of, you know, live and kicking type mm. thing and, you know, I mean, obviously you have Five Star, you know, being on was that was on going live, I think, when, you know, people phone in and why are you such a bunch of wankers? <laughs> That's Saturday, uh, Saturday Superstore with Mike Reed. Yeah, Saturday Morning Kids TV. I mean, does that even exist nowadays? I don't think. No, I mean, there's no, there's no kind of window on terrestrial TV for kids like programs. Like obviously, when we were kids, it was Saturday morning from about seven o'clock until whenever Grandstand came on on BBC mm. One. I think ITV. It was. They had like whatever it was, whether it was SMTV or Get Fresh or Motormouth or whatever, and then you would have the chart show that would take you up to lunchtime. But in the and then like through the week it would be from sort of three thirty till neighbours came on, right? You'd have children's yeah. programmes. But now it's all on digital, so you can watch our Netflix. Again, it's it's like what we're saying about pornography. You know what I mean? You when you're a kid in the eighties, you have to pick you have to like you might be in a house with only one telly, so you've got to kind of set your flag out to get your couple hours or get up really early to watch the Wide Awake Club or something. Just that you had to work for your pornography. But of course, they do the, obviously, the Saturday Wow, but then they take the piss out of the Friday night TV we had. 
and and kind of access beautiful area is that it's kind of a mashup of TFF Friday and the word I think yeah isn't it yeah well is where they do the song the Dassey with the bag in her head was that that was in the Saturday morning TV show right. Yes, it is, yeah. yes, because yeah. they so, have a lassie with a bag in her head there. I think that the Access programme is probably more... It's more taking the piss out of TG, TFI Friday, but it's definitely taking the piss out of Chris Evans. A hundred percent, because... And the only reason I would say that, because the host, I was kind of like, is this a Terry Christian kind of... Or is it Chris Evans? But when they go to the kind of... His friend which is played by Dominic Holland, Spider-Man's dad, it's obviously Will from yeah. TFI Friday, because they even yeah. do like a kind of... kind of yeah. thing. So it's obviously it, meant to be a piss take of Will. So yeah, it's definitely a TFI Friday he, kind of he even, he, he even He bears a little bit of a resemblance to Will as well with my uh, yes. memory serves. Doesn't he, he does. I mean, you're right, actually, but I never thought about Terry Christian... Because he used to he used to take the piss out of not so much as Martha Marr. I think Martha Marr, when he guest hosted the word, he could be worse than uh, Terry Christian. But Mark Lamar was very more subtle, whereas the host of Access Beautiful Area is very in your face obvious. Terry Christian was very in your face. Mark Lamar was more just like cutting jibes, kind of yeah. laid back. Just the Mark Lamar interview that I will take to my grave is when he was interviewing MC Hammer and he had a <laughs> pair of those trousers with a really low crotch that MC Hammer was kind of famous for and he kept, he kept they kept being these little stop hammer time member I think and he kept and he, 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 he kept jumping up and down I think MC Hammer was just I do remember that he was him. not impressed at all um, and of course we have skipped over the the fact that the Jocks Wahey play the Barrowlands, which of course is a Scottish institution. Have you ever been to a gig in the Barrowlands? The sweatiest venue in the west coast of the UK, I would I would say when it's when it's busy in there. Yeah, the Barrowlands, a fantastic venue. Have you ever been? Have you ever seen any bands there? I have. I've been once. Now I will say if anyone asks me. Uh, what was the you know it's quite a random you know it's not a random question it's the it's an obvious question what was the first concert you ever went to I won't tell anyone it was Jason Donovan at the Aberdeen Exhibition and Conference Centre that was the first (laughs) concert I went to the second concert I went to I think I was about 15 and I went to Barrowlands to see White Zombie wow and that was incredible that was an amazing gig I imagine that was a particularly sweaty gig. <laughs> I probably stank a B.O. I was thrown all over the place. I, I did manage to get the, the bassist. Uh, she was a, a female that I liked a lot. Sean Uslet, I think was her name. And I did manage to get one of her plectrums. Uh, but yeah, I that was a, a wonderful gig. I loved it. But yeah, that was the only time I think I've ever been to get Barrowlands. But I still recognised it seeing it on this TV show. Because it's quite a iconic and recognisable place. I haven't been there as many times I've got, you know, as I probably should have gone, especially all the years I lived in Glasgow. But I'm a bit like you. Like if anybody asked me what my first kind of live music experience was, I'm going to tell them that it was Soul Asylum at the Barrowlands 
1994. Yeah, 94, because I was 15. Um, but the truth, funnily enough, given what we just spoke about, the first concert I ever was taken to when I was 12, and it was to see MC Hammer at the SECC in Glasgow on the Please Hammer Don't Hurt Them tour, supported by Snap, and then the Hammer came on with his entourage. But you know the, the, the funny thing, I know, we're, I know we're digressing a bit from the... But the, the funny thing about that concert was I didn't know an awful lot of MC Hammer songs other than the stuff that he'd had in the charts. The, the reason I got to go was because I, my, my cousins were going to go uh, with another cousin, and my older cousin decided on the day that he didn't want to go, or he got a better offer or something. So he's he's a couple of years older than me. So if I was 12, he'd have been... Actually, he'd been probably 15 by then, because he's about two and a half years older. So he must have got... He probably got a better offer. So he gave me his ticket to go. I obviously knew, here comes the hammer. You can't touch this. And have you seen her? Which was ideal, because those were the only songs that he played. But somehow he managed to make them last an hour and 20 minutes or something. When he was doing Have You Seen Her, right? So he changed his trousers quite a lot. To everyone's surprise, he came on with in a pair of kind of black leather trousers. Talk about how he'd been on tour for such a long time and how he was missing his... Uh, he had been missing his girlfriend and blah, blah, blah. And then they'd broken up because he wasn't there. And now he'd, but he'd met this new girl, blah, blah, blah. Have you seen her? And then... Do do do, do 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 start. I mean, there was literally like a fucking ten minute story for him to start doing. Have you seen her? He, he didn't play anything off the Ninja Turtles soundtrack. I'm sure he had two songs in there. I knew those ones. Didn't play them. Um, my little cousin Stuart was more disappointed because he was a fucking massive Hammer fan, and he he was hoping for some deep cut album tracks. He didn't play them. Were you in Glasgow around about this time? Yeah, I saw him in Glasgow in SCCC. So you wouldn't be familiar with the Reed Balloon Soccer Crew and their MC Hammer covers? <laughs> no, but I'm going to get really familiar with them if they're on I, YouTube. <laughs> I will find them if I can and send them to you. This was on uh, the Robin Galloway Breakfast Show on North Sound Radio around about the same time MC Hammer was out. So it must have been early 90s. Right. And it was... Covers of MC Hammer songs. You know how like Chris Moyles used to do covers of songs, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah? Well, Robin Galloway was doing this back in the nineties. Yeah. And it was MC Hammer songs, but with like an Aberdeen slant. So there was. Have you seen her? But it was like I've just smashed my TV, fame, ma. I hope she doesn't find me before I can. <laughs> have you seen her? Or tell me if you see her. I haven't seen her. I need to find this on YouTube. And then they did, like, you can't touch this, but it was like, uh, it was with an Aberdeen FC slant. It was like, you can't beat us. You can't beat us. So taking it back to the Barrowlands, like I mentioned I saw Soul Asylum in there. I think, you know, their kind of biggest song. I mean, I, I loved Soul Asylum, but their, their biggest song was Runaway Train off the album um, Grave Dancers Union. I saw the Man at Street Preachers in there when they were touring the Holy Bible, I believe, yeah. I saw the Zuto, I, uh, the, the Zutons. Remember the Zutons? I saw them in there. I, um, I do remember the Zutons. I remember the saxophone player from the Zutons very well. Well, we saw them at the, uh, when we went to Tina Park. Remember, uh, they, they played at Tina Park in 2004. Yeah, them. vaguely. I mean, I just remember the saxophone player. Yeah, she's lovely. Yeah. So, 
To go back to A Young Person's Guide to Becoming a Rockstar, in terms of this kind of late 90s vibe, do you think this, I mean, we haven't even spoken really properly about Fish turning up as Derek Trout and, you know, effectively record an album, it does well, yada yada. Do you think the style of this show owes a debt to Danny Boyle? And train spotting because it's kind of a it's not a similar vibe but it's you know it kind of set a tone almost yeah i would say so i mean you know if we it's clearly the although it's a little bit late to the party the show is inspired by brit pop and the in the quite a large number of british bands some of which can sort of came and went in the mid to late 90s and others obviously went on to very successful careers but train spotting was sort of the the kind of Brit, this the sort of Brit pop movie, wasn't it? You know, it, it yeah. was kind of the kind of brilliant soundtrack and very stylish and everything. I mean, there's, I would say for sure, I would say there's a lot of things that would might never have got made if it wasn't for Train Spotting. But there are certain sequences that, I mean, there's particularly in the episode that we're talking about with Fish when they're recording the album in his mansion where he's got the big sort of rock concert audience screen that he plays in front of because it, it gives him a boost and you know the lighting and all that kind of thing you know um i think there's shades of uh shades of kind of danny Boyle's style in there i would say and i think we have to give a shout out to jess's parents of course his mum ella cotter from rabsy nesbit and of course his dad um Frank Gallagher, who plays the the big baddie in River City, Lenny Murdoch, but yeah, his his dad is brilliant because he's so kind of upset with jazz, and he he says a lot of things that would be un PC nowadays, you know, and call him uh, a big poof for dancing to Doctor Hook, very much against because he's a big kind of rock fan, you know, Aussie, and you know when he finds jazz in bed with Psycho. Are we talking Freddie Mercury here? Hey, Jeremy, your mother's talking to you. Come on, you lazy bastard, get up! Oh. Help my friggin' bone. Jeez. Are are we talking Freddie Mercury here? It's a... (laughs) It's a big, you know, kind of... You know, you wouldn't get away with that nowadays. You know, the thing is, I mean, this is what twenty-two years ago. Well, as I was going to say, when you're when you're our age, not that we're particularly old. You know, you're you're I'm I'm in my early forties. You're knocking on the door. It doesn't seem that long ago that this was on, and you know, you know, it's true what they say that the time definitely goes by a lot faster the older you get. But to me, it doesn't feel like an awful long time ago that this was on. Like to your to your point. Attitudes have changed a lot in the last twenty-two years. The attitudes have changed a lot in the last fucking twenty-two months. Oh. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And they've, they've, and they've probably changed a lot in the last twenty-two minutes when we've been talking. But you're right. There's no way that uh, anybody's going to sign off a script that that you know the code that alludes to calling comparing somebody to Freddie Mercury because he thinks he's gay. You know what I mean? I think if you were maybe like Ricky Gervais or. Sasha Baron Cohen, you could get away with it because they are so kind of famous that it could be seen as like a yeah joke. 
But yeah, yeah. Um, if you're coming out as like a new kind of, unless you try to be totally edgy, yeah, you can't get away with something like that. Ricky Gervais is good at putting these sort of things in context. Yeah, and you know, in sort of poking fun at the person who's being homophobic or racist or whatever he's trying to portray. Mm. Uh, but that it takes quite a skilled writer, I think, to be able to sell that. In terms of the cast, obviously, quite a young cast at the time. You got you got uh, Kieran Mc Mc McMenamum McManamum. It's hard. It's hard for me to say. You got Simone the Beeb, who is a good bit older than the rest of the cast. I I I looked her up. She's got she's got almost ten years on most of the cast. Nicola Stapleton, obviously hot, coming off of um, EastEnders. And Simon and the Witch. And Simon and the Witch, lest we forget. You've got Stephen McCall, who I think this was one of his first kind of parts on the TV. Duncan Marwick, Forbes Masson, he's obviously uh, he's obviously been, he's had a, quite a career before and since. And uh, Frank Gallagher, who plays Jess's dad and, Barbara, and uh, Barbara Rafferty. So who would you say, obviously, Gerald Butler's, he's, he's kind of done all right for himself. You know, he's managed to carve out a living since uh, this came on who would you say has has um has gone on to the most uh, successful career since the show came out well my answer would have been Gerard Butler because yeah. obviously it's Gerard Butler if we're just counting who you've mentioned i mean the other one would have been Dominic Holland not for his career but his son's career because he's obviously yeah <laughs> well, a multimillionaire now if you're speaking about the core cast i think Simone Le- Bab, Labib, um, she's had like a very good career in terms of TV series, but also so has Stephen McCall. Yeah. I think I would have to look at those two, but then you could argue, you know, Frank Gallagher as Ozzy, you know, he's got a regular gig in River City and he's been in that for, I think, about 20 years now. So <laughs> you could argue he's got a regular gig, he's doing well. I, I guess Keith Allen. Too, yeah, you know? we're not mentioning Keith Allen. He's I mean, Keith Allen's, but he's a I mean, he's he's not a Scottish legend, and thankfully he doesn't. You know, he's not playing a Scottish character in this. Uh, I'm not sure his Scottish accent would be up to much. But you know, a famous actor in the '90s. He's I think now he's probably more famous for being Lily Allen's dad and um, and Alfie Allen's dad. Because you know, Alfie Allen played a big part in Game of Thrones and. He's in Jojo Rabbit and stuff, you know? I would agree with that. However, probably two of the most iconic Scottish films that we will cover on this podcast later would be mm. Trainspotting and Shallow Grave. Yeah. And Keith Allen's in both of them. That's right. He yeah. is technically quite an iconic Scottish <laughs> presence. <laughs> I mean, if you if you wanted to say who's the biggest star in this, then yeah, of course you're going to say... Um, you know, you could easily go with Noel Gallagher, Chrissy Hine and stuff. Mm-hmm. Or I'd have to say, yeah, I think it's Simone Labib. Simone Labib. She's done, yeah. Or or Stephen McCall. Yeah, well, Stephen McCall, I, mean, I didn't realise this, but he, he was in Rushmore with Bill Murray. Oh, wow. Okay. And, I mean, I've, I've, I've not seen Rushmore, I don't think. I maybe have to check it out now that I've found that out but anyway, but it seems to be his only sort of Hollywood I mean I think Rushmore was an independent film um, but it, I guess you know it's still kind of Hollywood compared to the UK you know he, he did a lot of work with uh, Peter Mullen he was in High Times which we might we might review later on the sort of fairly short-lived Scottish comedy drama about people living in a high-rise flat 
But yeah, but the, the, the interesting thing about, about the whole cast is although, although none of them have really, apart from Jerry Butler, have really become absolute superstars, if you, if you, if you look up their IMDBs, they've pretty much worked constantly since this, apart from Duncan Marwick, who plays Psycho, his credits are a bit, are a bit more sporadic. But for the rest of the cast, pretty much constant work. For the older actors before the show and after it. I mean, the real measure of evaluating a cast in a Scottish uh, TV show or movie is by how many Taggart credits the, Sc- the, the certainly the Scottish actors have uh, have ramped up. So if I go through, Simone Labib was in Taggart uh, twice, playing different parts each time. Famously, she was in. Nest of Vipers, which is the only which is the only Taggart that Dougie Scott also appeared in. It's it, that is my now. I have downloaded. I, I've recently got a Fire Stick and stuff, and I've downloaded this UK TV app, and it has every episode of Taggart. Oh, brilliant! And I want to sit and watch with my German wife now every episode of Taggart. Nest of Vipers is the main Taggart episode I remember, so yeah. I want to watch that. So she. To come back to this Taggart count, how are we going to do this? Is it because a lot of Taggarts were two parters, weren't they? Right. Yep. Well, more than more than two parters. Could be like four or five parts. The number of appearances, like, are they the same character or have they appeared as a different character? Because we could even do like Blythe Duff. Well, she wins probably. No, I would. I'm saying like appearances in Taggart, so not. Not core cast members, okay. uh, but people that have appeared in Taggart. So, so, so Simone's been in Taggart twice. Kieran hasn't been in Taggart, but then he's not a Scottish actor, as I mentioned. He's from Northern Ireland. I need to stop myself from re- referring to her as Mandy off EastEnders. <laughs> N- Nicola Stapleton, obviously not a Scottish actor, but as you mentioned, uh, does a very good Scottish accent. She, she wasn't in Taggart, although interestingly she did have an uncredited role in the James Bond film Octopussy when she was a little girl. Stephen McCall was done Taggart twice. Forbes Masson has done Taggart once and it was a very early episode. I think a pre-Jardine uh, Taggart story. Duncan Marwick hasn't done Taggart, unfortunately. Barbara Rafferty's done Taggart once. But Frank Gallagher wins because he has been in Taggart five times. Wow. I mean, He's sort of he's, he's he's kind of an actor, a Scottish actor who's in like almost everything that comes out of Scotland yeah. to, to to some extent. You know, like sometimes these actors just fall into that category. They the, the phone rings whenever they're making something new in Glasgow. But yeah, he's got he's got five uh, target credits. We need to go back retrospectively and look at the list of what we've done and who has been in Taggart the most, just out of the main kind of cast. But I think, yeah, Frank Gallagher, that's five. That's going to take some beating. It'd be interesting to see who holds the record for Taggart appearances. You know, for because like, a lot of famous a lot of famous Scottish actors appeared in Taggart. Uh, Dougie Scott was there, was in Taggart, as we mentioned. Alan Cumming is in an early Taggart. I'm pretty sure Gerald Butler was in Taggart, but I didn't. I'll have to look it up and see. I should have probably checked out before. Uh, he's, he's, he's the one actor that I didn't look up. I guess it was a it was a it was a comfort for working Scottish actors when uh, when Taggart was still being produced because you always had a good chance of getting a of getting a phone call if they needed like a murder victim or a murderer. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to doing uh, Taggart 
when we do it. I yeah. will tell the story about my. We had a school janitor who looked like Mark McManus, and we oh, called really? him Taggart. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, I, th- I, th- I think there's probably too much Taggart for one podcast episode. There might have to be a couple of a couple of episodes. For I think I, I think you're right. I think we'll maybe do a couple of episode specials. Maybe we'll watch yeah. like one or two. We'll see what's on YouTube or what's around, and yeah. we'll watch episodes just on that, and then we'll maybe do a, a whole Taggart special. Well, we'll come back to Taggart. Yes. Uh, so I think that probably concludes. A young person's guide to becoming a rock star. We didn't talk about it that much, but <laughs> well, I mean, do you, do you, do you think it'd be worth? I mean, it was written by Brian Elsie, who wrote Skins. Do you think it's worth lobbying Brian to see if he will write a Where Are They Now? Maybe TV special of, uh, of where all our Jez and Joe and the whole gang are. I would love to see where jocks were here were now. I mean, Big Bully, probably in prison. Psycho, probably dead. I mean, it depends of his hypnosis. I mean, we didn't even go into his hypnosis. They hypnotise him to... Stop him know. being a shagger. Yeah. <laughs> so, if he breaks out of that, he's probably dead from shagging or in some S&M accident. Jez and Fiona, I'd give that six months. And Mandy off EastEnders, or, you know, whatever her name was from Simon and the Witch. Um, <laughs> don't know. Probably died in a fiery van inferno. So, I wouldn't imagine <laughs> Jocks he are still on the go nowadays. No, no, I would love no, to see a reunion. They might be doing the Rewind Festival circuit, you know? <laughs> <They> could... <laughs> what, with Steps and <laughs> yeah, Steps 3? Steps and the B-52s. <laughs> these guys, you know. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Jocks were hey on. I don't think the B 52s in steps, they're slightly different eras. <laughs> I know, but the B 52s were doing the Rewind uh, Festival. Were they? Really? My, my what, st- with E17 and stuff. I don't know. I don't know if they were. I think it, this was back when that circuit kind of started and some kind of decent bands were on there. Because I remember my stepmom used to go, because and, and it was in Strathclyde Park. I remember seeing the B-52s were, were definitely on there. But some other kind of good 80s bands were on the lineup as well. But for the life of me, I can't remember any of them apart from fucking B-52s. I, th- I, th- I think it was later on that um, you started to get like steps and five and the blue and these guys turning up partners in crime <laughs> partners in crime with a k oh mate I, I, what are they doing now i bet they're fucking loaded it's a scottish podcast mate we can't look into that uh, but we can look into it privately that's fine <laughs> okay well that guess concludes young person's guide to becoming a rock star i loved watching it again i hope yeah you enjoyed it as much as i did and definitely did it's your choice next greg what we're we gonna do next week or next time. Mm, next time. Well, I thought, because I always enjoy watching Stephen McCall in something. Like I mentioned earlier on, I think he's he's, he's one of my favourite Scottish actors. And I, I think he's a bit underrated. So I would like to watch the movie where he plays the second lead. But it's probably like one of his biggest films. And it's Peter Mullins' Orphans, which I think came out in 1999. So maybe like a year after after this came out. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can follow us on Instagram at Culture Swally Pod. 
Or you can email us with anything you would like us to review or news or, you know, anything you'd like us to talk about on cultureswally at gmail.com. So, until next time, see you later. See you later.